Welcome to another episode of the Black Girl Mixtape Podcast. I'm your host, Ebony Janice. Today's guest is LaToya Jones. She is the VP of Public Affairs at Hustle, a magical black girl. And honestly, this is the friend that you wish you had. We're talking about black women in politics, imposter syndrome, and why you just have to trust black women. The joy starts now. And I'm so happy to be here today with my guest, Sister Latoya Jones. Well, I feel like I need to put a handle on your, on your name. Wait, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know because you just lady. You, <laughs> you know you really grown when you upgrade in your cabinets and your countertops and stuff. So, Girl, you know what's funny about that is I moved in my house like four years ago and I knew I didn't like the kitchen and I was like, okay, I'm going to figure it out. And then I had to do some uh, work. I was like, you know what? Might as well do it now. I don't know what made me think to redo my house in the middle of traveling, that kind of thing. But yeah, um, I feel like a real adult now, you know, going through a real remodel. You grown, Latoya. That's the reason why I feel like I shouldn't even just be calling you Latoya. You my you you somebody's elder, and Girl, you might not even be actually older than me, but you still feel like you should have a, a handle on your name. I, I can't. But you know what? All these uh, like a couple of girls that I've known for years, they start calling me auntie. It's like, oh, I'm, don't, I'm not auntie yet. Don't give me auntie. That that's, that just makes me feel like I'm real old. Like I got an auntie. I'm not auntie yet. <laughs> I got an auntie. I'm not auntie. I actually am an auntie. I mean, I am an auntie. I'm an auntie five yeah. times over. But uh-huh. I ain't the auntie auntie. Yeah, I feel you. There is a difference. That's yeah. a that's a whole conversation in itself. I am an auntie, but I don't know if I'm your auntie. So exactly. There's right. that. Exactly. Um, I I had the pleasure of meeting Latoya. I was thinking about this earlier thinking about how many really dope people I know because of the internet. And right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that in real life, that the internet, when used correctly. When used correctly. A, yeah. When used correctly, out there. Is a really beautiful place. Hey, actually, I had a DM slide that turned into a four-year relationship. So you've got to okay. really be using the internet correctly. Okay. Um, Maybe I can get a DM slide or something. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, girl. You need to show your shoulders a little bit more. I can bring shoulders out there. <laughs> I wanted to have you on because I appreciate the just the everything that you're doing. And Black Girl Mixtape, as you know, is a multi-platform lecture series created to celebrate and center Black women's intellectual authority, ultimately on whatever the work is that you're doing. What is the Black woman perspective what is a black woman's conversation because too often we're not included in mm-hmm. in these discussions especially as it pertains to issues that impact us in you know very large ways right. so yeah. if you could just introduce yourself a little bit to the black girl mixtape podcast audience and we'll talk about all the things from there so hi y'all i am latoya jones um I am, it's funny, I am a political strategist, a uh, activist, a um, ride or die, I work in tech, I work in a community. I feel like I'm a little bit of all things, um, but ultimately I'm just like the regular old girl next door, a black girl who's trying to make a difference in the community. So that's the most important thing. Like I'm a black girl trying to do work. So that's the most important title of all the other titles. That's why I didn't give my work title because that doesn't define me and we can get to that later on. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
No, I love that so much. Actually, um, I'm having conversation too um, about, I won't say the particular subject because I'm not even trying to go there, but some white people in spaces that are very black and kind of taking up space that black women and men, but black women absolutely deserve a shot at. A shot at. And what it looks like for us to like celebrate whiteness so much that we end up losing, losing ourselves. Yeah, we end up losing ourselves mm -hmm. and really playing ourselves. And so what the kind of behind the scenes conversation as a result of you know this situation is what would it look like if we were most affirmed by each other more than anything else? Like more than anything else, other than maybe a lover, I can't think of any other person that can affirm me more than another black woman. You know what's funny about that is um, just, I completely understand, and it's, we're, going, we, we're getting early into the conversation, but like I was promoted recently to VP of Public Affairs for a tech firm called Hustle, which is super dope and I was super excited about it. But what was interesting to me is that I've been doing this work for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. And it's just, this is just another level of work I've been doing. But there are so many people who I knew knew me, but didn't acknowledge me until I got a promotion, mm -hmm. which I thought was very interesting because a lot of them people were sisters. So I was like, I know you've seen me out here doing this work. It's not like this is new. Like I didn't just one day say, oh my God, I woke up and I'm a VP. It's like years worth of work, but it was interesting how people started acknowledging me when I got a title and then how I accepted that and how... Uh, if I was going to let that define me or change who I was, because now this title made other people think that I was uh, relevant or worthy of their acknowledgement, you know? So that's a whole, that's a whole different conversation. That is, but legitimately, that's the reason why I love you. Because <laughs> I, I, I talk about you all the time. As a matter of fact, I, I was joking about making a t-shirt saying, get you a Latoya. But you know what's funny about that is I have a friend, shout out to Julie Green, you, you put that on a post about six, seven months ago. Mm -hmm. And Julie was like, first of all, I started that years ago. They said, get <laughs> you in your life. So it's not new. <laughs> That's but for real, for so real. <laughs> That's for, for context. Latoya and I are friends on Instagram. And Latoya actually has a private Instagram page with probably maybe 400 followers. Maybe. Maybe. And... <laughs> If you, if you are the kind of person who needs somebody to have a verified check next to their name for you <laughs> to acknowledge them as worthy, then you are out here missing out on life because yes. Latoya and I, like I said, are, are follow each other on Instagram and Latoya slid a DM slide. So shout out <laughs> to a DM slide. And I didn't know what would come of the initial interaction but then months later latoya had me out here in these streets up the street from sicily tyson so shout out to latoya but <laughs> but i i say that to say like that's part of my philosophy is like all people matter you know what i'm saying like there there isn't anything that could make you more yeah. I'm, I'm ultimately glad that I loved you before I found out that you was about that life. <laughs> so that 
when it came down to it, it didn't make me look like I was trying to just jump out the window because you was right. about, I found out, you, you know, behind the scenes that you was about that life. But and it so, was also funny because a uh, shout out to another one of my girls, Carmen Berkeley. So I found you because you did the um, hip hop Bible study. Okay. And I, I forgot which one it was, but Carmen followed you. And then she reposted one of your um, hip hop Bible studies. And I was like, oh, this is kind of dope. So I've been following you for a while. And I was like, okay, I like how you were centering yourself in like hip hop, faith, and community, like unapologetic. Because, you know, oftentimes you can't talk about hip hop in church because, you know, you just don't like hip hop. You don't like rap. No, it has some people tell it. But you were just having it all, you know, in one, like one um, cabal, like this is who I am. Mm -hmm. So when we started putting Power Rising together, and I was like, yo, I know this sister who will be dope for it. And he's like, how you know? I was like, I know. I follow her on Instagram. And people were like, what? I was like, I'm telling y'all, she going to be it. She going to be it. <laughs> but it was just, it was funny how internet and just trusting who you connect with. Like, I trusted Carmen's voice because she's also out in these, you know, in these streets doing the work. And then she trusted your voice. So that, to me, validated who you were That's more together check like if sisters you know who i love and trust are out there you no know, loving and, and following you because the fact that she was retweeted something that you said meant that it was validated something that she was feeling so i was like you know let me follow her and then you know and it, it wasn't even like three or four months and then power rise i was like and it was crazy because it was like we were sitting down around a table trying to figure out speakers and we had all these amazing speakers that we wanted to come and i my whole thing was that there's so many dope people that we don't know yeah yeah, yeah. So why not find people who know, I'm not trying to elevate her platform because she has a platform, but why not put it into in a different space? Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, I'm going to DM and see what's going to happen. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm almost a year later, we still hanging out, chatting. You know? yeah. So yeah, so thank you for being you. <laughs> that's No, but that's literally exactly what you're saying about like, it doesn't, it shouldn't take a title for us to, like right. black women, I trust other black women. And yeah. so I, I said that I have a, a new client. I'm about to uh, ghostwrite this book for this woman. I've never met her before. I only know her through a girlfriend. And so we've established a payment plan based on my trust for the girl, for our mutual friend. Right. Like, I trust that if that person would bring you into my space, mm -hmm. that we can create a working relationship. Yep. And so, yeah, I trust black women. I listen, like, if you, if you told me you need to know this person, Latoya, you are crazy. We're just getting ahead of ourselves. But we are. <laughs> thinking about literally the way that you drug me to a stranger and said, y'all need to know each other. <laughs> <laughs> but but y'all be connected, though. Yeah, yeah. So, trust Black women. Okay, so, yeah. to, to go backwards a little bit and tell me about how you, how you got into this work and what exactly it is that you're doing right like what does it mean okay. because with black girl we're talking about like centering black women's authority but it's a lot of work that we do behind the scenes and we know the title but we don't really know what that looks right. like. right so what's funny is um i kind of fell into politics um well i'm not kind of i completely fell into politics so i was <laughs> Going to school part-time, because working a full-time job, because, you know, at one point in time, I just didn't have the money to go full-time. So then I met this young lady, and she was involved in act, social justice activism. And so I joined this organization. I'm not going to go through the name of it. And we were doing all kinds of uh, protests. So we were out protesting in the streets of Atlanta, and it was hot as shit, and it wasn't a lot of people that protest. And I saw across the way at a, a local university that there was a student organization happening over there. 
And uh, also they had free food and it was uh, hot outside and they had water. So I go and it was a democratic you know, uh, organization. So I just got in the, you know, me and my friends, we sat in the back and we started watching, we were eating their free food mm-hmm. and drinking because it was hot and our protest was over and they were voting about Robert's Rules of Order and things of that nature. And us being like, double black we you like they talking about rappers who order our asses out here protesting and they supposed to be the politicians I'm like what's going on so we kind of start heckling somebody else's meeting right <laughs> now not our meeting mostly white people few people packs of color and we the blackest of the black in the back heckling them <laughs> um a long story short i end up being uh, elected to that organization uh, right because god because again Got, got, got elected to that organization, which led me to being involved in the College Democrats of, Amer- of Georgia and America. Mm-hmm. And again, because I like to run my mouth, I got elected to be vice president of the College Democrats of Georgia. Now, the funny thing about this is that, because I look a lot younger than I am, I was in my late 20s as mm-hmm. vice president of a college organization. But because I was still a part-time college student, mm-hmm. it didn't really matter. But everybody thought I was uh, like 19, 20. And I'm like 27, 28. Hmm. So what's what, so that helped me because now I'm you no know, I'm college Democrats you no know, vice president, which made me a super delegate. Ooh, hated super delegates, but during a presidential time where John Kerry had just lost, and they gave hmm. me a seat, a voting seat at the DNC, the Democratic National Committee. So I started. Um, I didn't. Politics was not going to be my real job. It was like something I was doing as I was in school, as hmm. I was because well, I was working in corporate America. And then Howard didn't decide he's gonna run for chair. And he's like negotiating you know, what he would like for my vote <laughs> kind of thing. But again, everybody's thinking and handling me like I'm 19 or 20, mm-hmm. not realizing now I'm like 27, 28. So we're having conversations and they're like, oh, college student is no. So they're really trying to sun me on what they thought I would know, could mm-hmm. know, comprehend. So I was like, no, this is what this is what my organization deserves, that kind of thing. Again, not expecting it to do anything other than just a one-off because I politics was not something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and mind you, from the time I joined the organization to this, it's, it's might've been about two and a half years. So it was like a really fast trajectory for me in this organization. Governor Dean um, ended up winning a DNC chair and at his um, party, he was like, I want you to come work for me. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because I had, I had worked with white men before, but I had never worked with somebody as authentic as him. And I started kind of laughing. I was like, you don't know me. You don't know, I don't, you don't know my resume. And then back in my mind, I think I ain't finished college. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what the hell? He's like, no, I want you to work for me. He told me that. I was like, okay, yeah, this is like in January. And then like nothing, I heard nothing from anybody for like four or five months. And then, like, May 15th, I get an email saying, um, your start date is May 26th. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, Jesus, no, what now? And, and I, I was confused, and I was concerned, because I was like, we ain't nobody talked about nothing. Mm-hmm. And I did end up sending my resume, but I still never got anything after that. Like, no mm-hmm. kind of acknowledgement. And, but they were serious. Like, he had told somebody to hire me, and they just decided, no, taking, well, he told, he told people to hire me, but then when I found out years later, there was black women in the background, I was like, okay, yes, we, he's going to hire her, but we'll make sure that she's covered. See, I mm-hmm. didn't know that initially. Mm-hmm. So when I found out, I was like, oh, this, okay. So I just packed up my little car, my best friend, and I you know, drove from Atlanta to D.C. And that was um, 2004, 2005. Next yeah. thing I know, 2018, I'm vice president of a tech startup company doing politics and labor. Mm-hmm. But 
the 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 funny thing about that is that you have to be careful what you wish for kind of thing because years later years before i was always involved in politics from a peripheral kind of thing and mm -hmm. i had my email was lady senator and mm -hmm. i told my friends i was gonna go to washington i was gonna make all these changes but i had went to washington had a bad experience mm -hmm. and that changed my mind but i never changed my email and so but i just got a new email but i still have people sending me that there but i realized i had asked for this and forgot I asked for it. Hmm. So when things start moving, like without me, you know, putting any much effort in, I was freaking out, but right. realizing I had already asked for this. So, I mean, so then I, you know, became the executive director of College Democrats of America, was, you no know, leading a, um, a leading, um, a college organization while I still hadn't graduated. So, right. and, and so that was something that was, that was like a fear. Like I never shied away from that, but it was like a fear that I had that people were going to find me out. But then my friend was like, but you're doing the work. You've doing the work and, and people don't really know if you're doing the work, don't worry about it. And mm -hmm. I managed campaigns. Then I worked, you no, know, it just, it, one thing led to another kind of thing. And, um, next thing I know, I worked for the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. Mm -hmm. I, you know, managed elections. I worked for the conventions and the DNC conventions twice over, started my own consultant company, worked for labor. And next thing I know, I got asked to work for, to work for a startup company handling their labor politics. So it was, <laughs> it, it, it seems like, and I'm shortening, it's a longer story and I'm, mm -hmm. but I'm shortening it all into like a couple seconds, a couple minutes, but yeah, it started for me being hot on the after protest and running my mouth in somebody else's meeting and I'm here now. But what's funny about all of that is how you don't realize how people hate your growth. So that same organization that I became a member of and I started leading 2000, no, 2003, 2004, mm -hmm. uh, 2002, 2003, when I decided to run for DNC vice chair in 2016, some of the same people who hated me then hated me, still hate me now. Hmm. Happened to be like, you know, a lot of old no, white boys who was like, she's never did the work. She's never did this. And I'm like, oh, what now? Mm -hmm. But what's funny, what I wanted to snap back, people who I didn't know was watching me then came to my defense because they was like, hmm. oh, I don't know the toy you're talking about with the toy. I'm not, yeah. was always about the work. So it's just funny how as, as you move through this life and you, as you grow, some people are still stuck in, in, in old shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a long way to tell you how I got and what I'm doing now. <laughs> No, you said you said two things that I want to go to. You said um, doing the work, but you hadn't you hadn't graduated, and you were feeling some kind of way about mm -hmm. that. And that is that literally is how I came to this. What I say my work is is decolonizing authority, really. And I'm and I feel like I'm doing that in a lot of different spaces, whether it you know through a lot of different systems, whether it be through church, whether it be through you know academia, whatever. Because I was a college dropout for many years i literally just went back to school probably seven years after i originally left school at the end of my junior year of college but i but i'm not get you know deep and spooky and go into like how i felt like god had called me to da 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 whatever and then years later i ended up going back to school but so much of the work that i was doing in those seven years i was so-called unqualified for yes. and that really was the beginning yes. of my conversations around what it means for us to decolonize authority because yep. authority is a colonized reality. You, yep. So you mean to tell me you've been doing this work for what, 14 years and right. it's people still questioning whether or not yep. you are credible. Yes. I mean, and it's funny because um, it, 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 when it came up, I was really initially angry. Like, how are you 
questioning me when I know what you did. Like, we know who you are. And for them to be so stand style in there, she never did the work. But I, it was having friends, and not just friends, but colleagues who had watched me do the work. Because one thing I will say, he, these people were complaining about stuff they said that I didn't do in 2002, 2002, 2003. It is now 2016. If mm-hmm. I was not about the work, I would not. I would not be where I was then. Right. And I would not be on this stage, running for vice chair and actually holding my own. Mm-hmm. So let's not. And then, and it was funny because as much as they say I didn't do the work, if you actually watch any of those debates, a lot of my answers, the other people on stage were saying the exact same thing, but just saying it a different way after I had said mm-hmm. it. But that's another conversation. So, but it was about them trying to. Uh, had I been. Had I not gone through the journey of finding who I was and accepting you know, my role and my faith walk and, and knowing that I was qualified, that mm-hmm. probably would have took me out. Because mm-hmm. early on in my career, I was freaking out like, oh my God, like, who am I to be running College Democrats of America? Mm-hmm. And the thing, what's the funny thing about it is that when I got off the job, I was close to graduating, mm-hmm. but I was also poor. And also, it was more money than I was, you know, was making. And mm-hmm. my sister had just had a baby. And I'm like, okay, well, this is a job in my field. Why not take it now? Mm-hmm. I, like, I didn't have that luxury to say, you know what, I'm going to turn this job down. A full-time, you know, turn this job down. And then hope that it comes back around next, you know, yeah. next year. You know? So, but it was that thing. To, but it was I, early on in my career, I was very, like, afraid of being found out, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. But as I realized and having good friends and a good therapist is like, if I was not doing a job, I would have lost the job a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and, and to say that I've never actually, since I've been in, I've never been fired from a job in the last 18 years. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. But I've also mm-hmm. continued to go up and, and level up in the Rosa Sierra and continue to show myself prepared and deserving of all the titles and the roles that I've gotten because of my work ethic and also because I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we get so caught up in having to, have some kind of validation from someone else that you forget that you already know the work yeah. you know some some work comes easy to some people and this work you know bless you no know, bless the lord is something that i'm actually good at and i wouldn't have known you know had i you know listened to everybody else saying you can't do that until you get this yeah so. yeah 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 that's so good this this idea of <laughs> of being authorized being credible being certified whatever is also really funny to me because in a lot of ways what you would have to do in order to meet the standards that were set for you that you had in your mind right you actually have to like bend over you'd have you'd actually have to lessen your actual capacity yeah. Yeah. to meet those standards i wonder i wonder if you could speak a little bit more i wrote down the words i was poor because <laughs> it just makes me think about um how much how much work we we I don't know if we were on camera at this point because we talked for a minute before we got on camera, but yeah, I think we were talking about um, certain opportunities that white people are able to move into with more ease than Mm -hmm. um, black people are. And talking about this for a different reason, but a lot of that is because many of them as a result of their privilege have the ability to move into positions, you know, for less pay or whatever, whatever. So can you talk a little bit about how your experience your journey along this way, um, as far as 
actually being compensated as far as equal pay, oh. as far as like, you know, all of that. <laughs> What's funny because when I left Atlanta, I came to DC and I was my, the job I was making was paying me $38,000 a year. And I thought that was so much money. Mm-hmm. Now, hindsight 2020, that was about $8,000 more than what I was making in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was $38,000. Not realizing cost of living in DC is different than cost of living in Atlanta. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, I got, so I took the job excited. Um, so about six months into the job, I realized that although I was executive director managing the budget, the stat, you know, I had like two staffers and the, and the organization was like 75, 80,000 people. I was getting paid less than half of the next closest director. And at this point in time, I'm like, hold up now. And, and I mean, because my mindset thing was that this is a lot of money, but I also know what I'm doing and what I'm working. Mm-hmm. Now, granted that I should not have had that kind of no, I should not, that should not have been my mindset, have other people tell it, you know, because, mm-hmm. but, so I went to the DNC now, demanded a raise. Because my, because at that point in time, my life was like, I, what I have to lose? I can always go back to Atlanta, stay with my friends. No, I, I got this job. I, I, you know what? If they, if they fire me, you know, it was a great experiment. But what I'm not going to do is work another day without you, without you, without you minimizing what I'm doing. Especially because they were stressing me the hell out. Like I would be at work to, because I was trying to overcompensate because of like mm-hmm. the schooling, I would be at the office until midnight you know, and then get back up and be at the office at nine o'clock in the morning. And I didn't know anybody in DC. So I, all I could do was work. So I'm like, I'm making 38,000, which was a lot of money, I thought. But the next closest director was making like 78, 79,000. Mm-hmm. No, one director was making 90. I was like, hold on, what, what, what is this? Mm-hmm. So me and a colleague, she was also making less. She was also an executive director. We got together and was like, you know what, we gonna demand a raise. Mm-hmm. and but she had a husband and bless her heart she she was she, she's a white woman who i love she had a husband and so she had she had a support system i had me so mm-hmm. i know some people are like no you can't trust her to this day she is my ride or die but mm-hmm. i'm like you know what we forgot so i demanded a raise i demanded like a fifty thousand dollar raise i didn't get a fifty thousand dollar raise but i got like 20 i got like twenty two thousand or something like that mm-hmm. So I got that raise and then next year I got another raise. Mm-hmm. So, so, and the, each year I continue to get a raise mm-hmm. to the point when I left the position, I think I was somewhere around seventy five, eighty thousand dollars mm-hmm. Right. Which again was crazy for me because I, it was like, I was making this money doing this work. And so I had not really, you know, and everybody was saying, no, you, how can you make that? You cannot make that because again, you're underqualified, but the right. work for itself. Mm-hmm. So as I, it became a thing whereas I knew that if I don't have credentials, I was going to have to outwork everybody. And so I started outworking everybody, but it was easy for me because I also had my name on it kind of thing. It was like, you know what? Because now I'm solidly in D.C. I've I'm in, I'm been in D.C. four years and I decided I don't want to go back to Atlanta. So mm-hmm. ain't nobody going to push me back. So I'm going to make sure I work harder. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so I just started, you know, being being more cognizant of how I was no going to be uh, compensated for my for my work, you mm-hmm. know, and then uh, and just started no not just taking anything. When I left the DNC, I left the DNC to actually go manage a campaign, which made you no know, a little bit you no know, a little bit about it was a little bit it was a raise. It was great money, 
and then that bust and then I went to convention. So I continued to take positions that put me in the next level. It wasn't until I got into labor where um, the pay rates is kind of, um, every it's a scale. You know, everybody, man or woman, you know the position you're supposed to get. Now I was uh, I was hired for one position in labor, got a, they had a lesser position and uh, that became the source of uh, issue uh, down the line of my labor career, but I also let them know, this is what you told me, this is what you did, so now you gotta compensate. So I got to a point where I was just not afraid to ask for the money. Mm-hmm. There was a short stint, like right after Obama, which is crazy, considering that all the things that know, but right after Obama got elected, um, Terry McAuliffe ran for governor the first time, mm-hmm. and I didn't have a job for like six months. Well, like it was like the summer, so like three months. And I wasn't really, like, I was, I was concerned, but not really, because I kind of felt like, you know what, maybe I need this break, but mm-hmm. I also need to know that, you know, the jobs that they were offering were just, were beneath what I thought I, or I deserved. So I would just go swimming every day. I would go swimming every day. Michael Jackson passed away. I sit there, cried in the living room for like three days, you know, depressed mm-hmm. about Michael Jackson. Now we'll start swimming again. And eventually I was like, you know what, I need to get a job. So I asked a couple of friends for a position and then I said, Lord, if I can just make this amount of money. Mm-hmm. And again, I said, just make this amount of money. The position came through and it was like eighteen dollars to $20,000 more than I just asked the Lord for. Wow. And that was like, see, and then that was when I realized that I had been, again, underestimating who I was mm-hmm. and what people thought my worth was. And it's mm-hmm. funny because when they asked me what I, um, what I wanted to get paid, I was about to start, I was about to say something and then I got, I started coughing and mm. I could not actually, the words never came out because they gave me water and they just ended the interview. And I think that was God letting me know you about to ask for less money. So I'm going to set you up real quick. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I got that job and I was at that job for about a year and a half. And then I got another job and no, uh, I got off another job just out the blue and that job paid me another $10,000 more. And mm. it's funny because I, I am making, each step away, I was making more money I ever thought I could make. Mm-hmm. I ever thought anybody told me I can make. But it's mm-hmm. also about me ex- accepting that I was worth this amount of money because yeah. my work ethic and what I brought to the table spoke for itself. So while mm-hmm. oftentimes, a few times, not often, but a few times, I was lowballing myself, my work, my work was not lowball. Like my, the work that I put out there and mm-hmm. what people saw was no, that was no speaking ahead of me. You know, mm-hmm. that was no, that was showing people like, you know, she might say this, but if you see what you're getting, this is what she's worth kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, I so love the know, fact that you, when yeah. you said that you, like, I'm just thinking about this progression, you starting out at um, 38,000, thinking that it's a lot, and then yeah. having to have this revelation that <laughs> that's not like that what you were actually doing was worth so much more. Yes. But that, that says a couple things to me. The fact that they gave you 38 when you first like that that's what they offered they i it feels like and i feel like there's so many of us that have this experience they they feel like you don't even know like you know we could just give you this you'll be okay with this you'll be good with this and then the revelation that you actually deserve some you know something better than that mm-hmm. is like okay well you know, we would have gave you that a couple years ago if you knew any better but we just figured that we would start this low and so you know how what? many t- that's the funny thing about it is that I I didn't know. And then I yeah. had no one to ask either. Like the young guy um, who's amazing, who had the position before me, 
he was also a college student doing a job. Mm. So he, so they hadn't had a full-time person in that position. Right. Mm-hmm. And as far as they were concerned, I'm, I'm coming from college. So what, no, $38,000 out of college is a great job. Not realizing that my, I'm taking care of my sister, taking care of my brother. Like I'm, there is like real, real life things happening here. So that's why I took $38,000. I'm thinking, Oh, it's $8,000 more than that realizing mm-hmm. taxes. And I can help my sister or I can see my mom and my mom and some money. So for me, it was about being able to help my family. And then that's when I, but, but when it became about, okay, I want to help my family, but you also have to pay me what I'm worth. Yeah. Especially when I'm like balancing budgets and I'm keep, keeping college students from acting crazy. It was, it was all kinds of stuff. Like it was a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. I, I have also interested in this. You said um, you were doing the work and what that makes me like everything along the way, you just keep talking about, you know, I know that I was putting in the work. I knew about, you know, I knew my work ethic. I knew that I needed to work harder. And I'm thinking about this group, um, actually boys and girls club in San Francisco. I had uh, a discussion with them about a year ago now um, with the people that work for boys and girls club, just in the, in the clubs and about how they didn't realize that what they were doing was justice work. Yeah. So I had to break it down by being like, you know, when your grandma used to bring homeless people in and feed them, that was the work, but Mm -hmm. it was, it was her ministry. It was just what she knew she was supposed to do. So she didn't call it the work. But then there are people, because again, authority is colonized. There are people that come in that recognize, oh, we can call this the work and get paid for it or get grant money for it or get, right? right? So this way, I just wanted to highlight that because so much I hear you talking about doing the work. And it's funny because you, when you say you happened into politics, like you didn't happen into politics. (laughs) You always was in some way, you know, doing this work it was just a part of your living right and 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 then the revelation like oh i could actually do this is like just this whole other thing that that, that's funny because you're right because i um rest my grandmother so i kind of remember the very first time i did anything in politics was for harold washington when he ran for mayor Hmm. Like, and I remember my grandma saying, we're going to have the first black mayor of Chicago, just super excited about it. And, and it's crazy. Like I would have commentary about politics that I knew nothing about. And to this day, I remember when my grandma popped me in the mouth because we're at the Waldorf room in um, downtown Chicago, used to be Marshall Fields. And they said, um, Harold Washington had died. Hmm. And I think I might've been like eight or nine or something like that. And the first thing I said, he ain't died, they killed him. And everybody, it was an elevator full of white people. And my grandma didn't know what to say. But like to my soul, as a child, I knew that happened. Now, mm-hmm. now, now first of all, I why, why I say that to this day, I still don't know. But you couldn't tell me mm-hmm. that that somebody didn't know. I'm like, no, they killed her in Washington. Because in my mind, like, you know what? I knew we, I'm the only one of us black people had this. I just knew. I mean, mm-hmm. So it was funny because my grandma was like, oh. She popped me in the mouth, but mm. later on she like, "Baby, look, I just did that, but you can have your opinion." But I, I it was just so funny. Like I just knew I was like, "The man did that to him," and mm. it was just hilarious. And they would talk about that my family for years <laughs> as a child. As, so. as a child, that actually is so funny to me, though, Latoya. Because well, it's funny, but then at the same time, it's kind of sad because it mm-hmm. makes me think about the burden of black childhood that you gotta 
you got to kind of know in your spirit. You like, you right. know, in your, actually the note that I wrote down when you were saying that is black children and their souls work. It's like thinking, I saw this, I saw this picture of this um, black father on the train in the morning one of the kids with his two children Do, one of the doing the hair doing the hair and one of the ch the other kid is like slumped over like half sleep mm -hmm. and it's like the burden of being a black child in america in yeah. 2018 is yeah. still like like you can see the rest you know the restlessness and you can mm -hmm. see the and so even the commentary we both are aunties so we both know like yes. the the amazing things that our nieces and nephews say that's mm -hmm. like as a child should you have to know that what should you have to know, girl? There, there's a book on uh, on the things black kids say. We should actually write it, cause mm -hmm. you're like, what? Mm -hmm. Like, where you get that from? Yes. <laughs> but it was so. It's funny. And then I remember um, forcing my family to do hands across America, cause you know, I don't know why, but it was something about that that made me. It was like, I remember saying like, if we mm -hmm. touch these people, we're touching everybody in the world. Now mm -hmm. again. Growing up, like I was lower middle class, lower working class in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, literally, it was like uh, everybody in the house. And it was me and my siblings, my grandmother, my grandfather, my stepfather, everybody. So, you no, know, we know. I remember having days where we had to have the oven open to heat the house. Mm -hmm. You know that kind of thing. So, for me to have these thoughts about like what, you no, know, making sure that you no, know, we voted for Harold Washington or doing Hands Across America. It was just complete, like, it was foreign. Like, there was nobody else in my family who was like, I wasn't like um, that we were political people. We weren't acting. We couldn't afford to be mm -hmm. political. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you know, we were just trying to mm -hmm. survive. And like on my mother's side, they tended to you know, they didn't, were not really active. Like my grandfather was part of the union. But he in protest, if they need some help, he'll help. Or they need a little check, he write a little check. But I didn't grow up that side of the family. Mm. But it was, the, it was a point where it's, you, you get to a point where people, where sometimes you're like, you're just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And that's when my family continued. They were surviving. So wasn't nobody talking about voting. You know, we voted for Harold Washington, but I can't tell you if my family ever voted for anybody else in any other elections. Mm -hmm. No, but I know Harold Washington because he was... So when I got to Georgia in high school, of course I voted no. I voted for, uh, I was, uh, my very first time voting was in 94 kind of thing. So I, I want to say that was Bill Clinton. You know, and then I you know, voted for no um, Al Gore, but it wasn't like I'm voting for everything else kind of thing. It was like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a vote for presidential because apparently that's what we got to do. But mm -hmm. I don't remember ever as a child, any politician ever asking me or coming to my house mm -hmm. in Georgia or Atlanta, in Georgia or Chicago, asking me for my vote. So mm -hmm. me getting involved in politics was kind of, it, it, it was weird because politicians never actually asked or cared what my community cared about. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we just wanted to know, in Chicago, we just wanted the cheese, you know, and, and that rice, because that's mm -hmm. some good rice and cheese. We just wanted to know. And in Georgia, it was the whole thing about it's Georgia. Don't nobody care about Georgia. Like it, it was, it was just a very weird kind of, so to see it now and how politics has you no know, changed my life mm. and how it's you no know, allowed me to have a, own a home, mm -hmm. Get, you know, put my, my niece is graduated by, uh, biology pre-med two years ago. My nephew's in college now, like to ha allow me, politics is, although it's always been part of my life, I see it now as something that's going to change, help make change generational curses if that makes mm -hmm. sense mm -hmm. like to the point where it's, i didn't realize that 
what what they did what the politicians didn't do for me and my family when growing up is what i'm actually working against now if that makes sense mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. so i so i get mad and i remember i get mad at politicians who are going to win like they have no real competition so they don't even bother talking to the community mm-hmm. if, if you know you're gonna win why won't you at least walk through the community and talk to them and thank them for just being in the constituent mm-hmm. so i'm at the point now like i'm i think ultimately what i'm getting around to is that because I felt like we didn't have a voice or no one cared about our voice when I was growing up, I want to make sure that communities now have a voice in me. Mm-hmm. Whether it's in Silicon Valley, whether it's the DNC, whenever they get their stuff together, or whether it's in um, in labor or however it is, I just feel like I should not be here for, for many of different reasons, but I'm here, so that means I have to speak to the, the, the current Latoyas who are growing up poor in South South Chicago or in Atlanta, or no, like my sisters who had babies early. So I just feel like I, I, it's, it's because God has blessed me because there's no other reason why I'm on this journey of being successful without God's covering. Mm-hmm. I owe it to them and to his blessing or her blessing to continue the work, you know, mm-hmm. and make sure that their voices are heard even if they don't feel like they're physically in the room because I'm in the room for them. Mm-hmm. This, this makes me think about how, a couple things, I'm thinking about just the history, I think the history of Black justice movements in this country is so much free labor. Yeah. I'm going to break this down in several ways. So much free labor, especially, especially from Black people, but especially from Black women. Mm-hmm. And... I'm like every movement that I can think of. When I think about the suffrage movement, when I think about Sojourner Truth, when I think about the work that these um, black women were doing to educate, when I think about Ida B. Wells writing this whole book, and you know, and basically just putting it out there and being like, just take it because I need y'all to know that this is happening, <laughs> right? And then, and then you think about the Panther Party and how black women literally in the in the original conversation about naming. Um, you know, the, the Panther Party, like we, we know these two men that we reference mm-hmm. all the time, but we don't talk about the woman that was there, right? And we don't, Wait. and we don't talk about the fact that like the, all this work that these women were doing. And so, hold on a second. Cause it's people in the hallway that, that think they need to be louder than I'm being <laughs> on my podcast. They want to be interviewed, not Latoya. <laughs> Girl, look. But so, yeah. So just thinking about that, thinking about, um, just these, all these layers. And then the other part that I was going to bring up is, and then in the black church, because that's, that's where so much of our movement comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, again, we're not calling it the work. It was just mm-hmm. what we had to do to survive. It was what we had to do to create any kind of change or equity yeah. in our lives, to be safe, to be able to live, to be able to provide for ourselves. And so I, I am connecting this back to something that I said earlier we can speak to this a little bit about how we um i think it's important for us to acknowledge that this is the work like whatever Mm -hmm. our daily living is is the work because i'm thinking about um i'll use hip-hop as a hypothetical example (laughs) how we talk about hip-hop how we create culture how we contribute to it and then white people become the gatekeepers for this culture that yeah i saw your tweet storm about that girl (laughs) So how, you know, white, white people become the gatekeepers for that. And, but we were just living it. We were just, we weren't, we weren't saying this is my work until very recently. We were yeah. just living it. We were just creating it. 
So yes. I would love for you to speak, like if you could give a call to action for black people, but especially to black women about yeah. naming this, their work, whatever it is they're doing. Um, Which is, well, I will say it's funny because tying the two things together, we often tend to do the work without asking for the credit. Yes. And somebody asked, I did an interview a few weeks ago that was um, posted and rolling out and they asked me who I wanted to thank. And I said, Ella Baker, mm-hmm. because she was so much about the work. She trained a lot of people, a lot of men whose names we know. And for a lot of reasons, people don't know her name because mm-hmm. she, she was more about the work than about the shine. And then I think about uh, my mentors now, The Colored Girls, who has a book coming out, The Colored Girls Who Consider Politics. You also check that out. It's five Black women, but it's four with the book, who have been doing the work and no one knew their names because they were all about doing the work. But I think with this generation, like, it's no longer about just doing the work. It's also about doing the work and letting people know that you're doing the work. No one is a no now about, you know what, I'm not going to sit behind and say, you know what, I'm just going to be happy that the work gets done. Now, and if that's somebody, if that's somebody's journey, that's fine. But I see these people who have done such amazing things in the community and they get no credit for it because it's to be a black woman who do the work, you have to be humbled. You have to be humble. And so, you know, I'm just doing it because I care about my people, but a white woman or somebody else, and this this is not anti-white woman, but somebody else, not of our culture can do the same thing. And they can go out there and broadcast it and by some oh how hype it is. But what I'm learning and I'm seeing, I'm so proud of the women out there who are no longer saying, you know what? Yes, I'm doing this work, but I'm also let you know that this is my work. Mm-hmm. You know, and like because I had a I was with my girlfriends last night. Like I was been sick the last few days, so they forced me to come out. So last so last night we were talking about the Kardashians. And I don't have anything against them. Mm-hmm. And, and I understand and I respect their business acclimate. But I know three random black girls, Latoya, Ebony, and Tasha, we could not, we cannot be ourselves and make that kind of money, you know? And all they're doing is showcasing who we are and who we live on a daily basis. So I, I appreciate the black woman who said, you know what, I'm going to stop just being humble about what I'm doing. Yes. But some people, they might hate, they might hate China. But you can't disrespect the fact that, you know, she's like, you know what? I'm going to do the same thing they doing and I'm going to get paid because they, well, all they're doing is, you know, duplicating me. And what I think is also funny about this is that Black China gets a lot of crap from people. Cardi B gets a lot of crap from people, but she gets a lot of crap from Black women mm-hmm. who stand that they're ghetto, but they love the Kardashians. So yeah. we have, I think what, has, what we need to do is, start, is stop, put, stop holding Black women to a certain standard mm-hmm. thinking that's no... If I, if I tell people I did this work, I'm not being humble. You know, because you know what? Beyonce said the best, fuck you, pay me. Or she might mm-hmm. not have said it, but somebody said it. <laughs> now it's like, you know what? You want my talent? You want you got to pay me for it. Or at least acknowledge that it's my talent that's getting this opening the door for you. I yeah. mean, it's like, I just think of all the girls now who are just doing the work and, and just are not silent about it. And, mm-hmm. I, and I just know that was just not, that was not who I was taught to be, you know? I was just taught to just, you know, get it done. And eventually somebody, somebody will reward you. Yeah. It's like like we have this, um, we were raised, especially if you have any kind of relationship with the black church, this idea of being humble and, and being modest and what it means to just serve God and not have to, you know, go in your prayer closet. You don't have to tell everybody. Because your blessings are in heaven. 
Yes, but no. <laughs> if I stay in my prayer closet, I'm be hungry and I'm have to work three jobs to be able to still continue to do this right. work. That doesn't make any sense. And that's the the thing, like how because I I brought I bring up the the hip hop piece because um, obviously that's you know very frustrating for me. This idea of this, I'm not even trying to take away the fact that this woman may be very qualified and may very well respect the culture. But you're never in your life. My undergraduate degree is in cultural anthropology, so. Well, I'm not talking from a place of silliness. You know what I'm saying? Right. I you, know what you I'm got talking the, You got the knowledge, the book knowledge behind it. I got the knowledge, the, and I, and so I literally do this work. But additionally, I legit can name 14 other black women just off the top of my head that are more qualified, more qualified. Somebody, there's this, this ongoing joke of like, um, ask, ask this person's name, whatever. God bless her ministry. Cause I don't have no beef with her, but I'm just saying. And one of the questions was, ask her, can she say the the whole name of NWA without getting her ass beat? And so it's like, you're, you're a part of this, you're curating something on behalf of this culture, but you cannot even actually fully exist as yourself in this culture. Right. You, you can't actually fully embrace the culture. Right, right. Because the thing about it, what I will say, and having, like, everybody is woke now. And I want so many people to go to sleep because, you know, sleep deprivation is a real thing. <laughs> but I'm just saying, so everybody is woke now. And there are people who are, who are doing the work and who are also woke. But I got so frustrated. I see it on campaign ads and I see certain people who don't even understand where it came from and, 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 the, uh, and the history of what woke means yeah. is using that. So I'm like, okay, so, but now everybody, you know, you see campaign ass where no, somebody's talking about, yeah, I'm woke. What, do, what does that mean for you? Because I know what it means for me. Mm-hmm. And I know what it means for my community. But oftentimes we allow people to hijack that com- uh, like how mm-hmm. because whether we're frustrated or we're tired or uh, that's just, no, that's just not my journey right now. I don't, it's not my fight, but we can't do that any longer. Whether it's yeah. in politics, like, I mean, politics is a whole separate kind of conversation about how the black community allows people to come in yeah. and just claim they're going to do things for our vote and never actually produce things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and that, that's a whole podcast in itself, how, these politicians will come to church on Sunday and yeah. they quit swear they want $15 an hour mm-hmm. and all this other stuff, but then they get elected and they're nowhere to be found. Now, yeah. not letting the politicians off the hook, oftentimes the black community does not do the post-voting work, which means just mm-hmm. yes, I'll vote for you on Tuesday, but that also means on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I won't be in your office holding you accountable. Now, yeah. I understand a lot of people are not in places where they can go sit out and go to the city council mm-hmm. meetings or go to the office or make a complaint because they're just trying to survive. But at some point in time, you got to realize surviving, you might have a better shot at surviving if you just did a little bit more to hold these politicians accountable. So that's- And Latoya, that, that speaks to though, it's, it's because you don't see the possibility of holding these politicians accountable as your work. Yep. And yep. so, because if you saw it as that, and if you saw the value, the information, the access, the education, the wisdom that you bring to that discussion as your work, and then begin to ask to be compensated for the education resources you yes. know, that you're bringing to that. So I think it still continues to go back to this piece about being humble and not, not calling what we're doing. There is, there is this, uh, a, a lot of when the Nia Wilson 
um, when Nia Wilson was murdered and there were a lot of black feminists calling out white feminists with large platforms to speak on behalf of you know speak Mm -hmm. about what happened and there was this one white woman that just you know showed her behind and she was just like i don't see y'all calling out other black women this is my live i literally am mia wilson i live this you don't ever have to see me post a day in your life for you to be concerned about whether or not my daily living is this work and so but i think that it's exactly that like we're allowing people to hijack these mm-hmm. spaces because we won't say it i know i know that i'm doing this i know that i'm living this i yeah. know that i could run circles around your favorite you know woke white male politician in any discussion on policy whatever whatever but i won't call it my work and ask to be paid yeah work. yeah i won't call it my work but also there's something i will say if you call it your work i feel like people feel like then you may have to be accountable for it mm-hmm so if you say, you know, this is the work I'm doing, then people expect you to have certain benchmarks and your certain report outs. And mm-hmm. some people just don't want that added additional stress mm-hmm. on them saying, you know what? Yeah, this is my work. And they're like, okay, well, what else, what else are you doing? Mm-hmm. It's like, I can't, I can't do A and B and say it's my work without somebody saying, well, what about C and D? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, what if this is what I want to do? People always expect you to do more because God forbid, if you know, if you just like start doing A for the rest of your career, that means at some point in time, you've messed up. You ain't progressed past A, girl. You've been doing A for 15 years. When you gonna start doing B? I hear you, but additionally, I would like to say that if the only thing I want to do in my work is to educate, because when you talk about black politicians or, or politicians, white politicians coming to All black churches, so there is there's the post work, but there's the pre work as well, mm-hmm. because we need an education around like we just don't even know the historicity of like how we, why, why black people have used, have needed God for a different reason and why black people have viewed politics in a different way, right? Like we have a history and relationship right. with that. So if all I do for the rest of my life is A, which is just to educate us on before we invite these people to our church or before we allow these people to come into our spaces, that's my work. And, and I'm saying, and I agree with that, and I'm saying you can do that, but what happens is that people in our community or other people will make you feel bad that all you're doing is A. Mm-hmm. Like, think about, like, I, I can think how many times that people told me, girl, if you had done this, you could be what such and such it is. They came in after you. Well, mm-hmm. I don't want to do what such and such is doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, like, I mean, as many yeah. people told me that I should be on TV, you don't really know me because you don't want me on your television because I have no poker face and I will get there and I will lose my religion real quick and they'll be like, okay, but I can't believe Toy out there cussing on TV, waving her fingers. <laughs> but what happens is that if they see you progressing in A and A is amazing, mm-hmm. they automatically put pressure on you to do B or C. So mm-hmm. what happens is that you can't, then now you're not even comfortable in doing A because you feel now you feel like A is not enough, even mm-hmm. though A is all you want to do. Yeah. So what Could we you have me think of the words great black hope. Um, and I wonder if in your journey, if that has, you know, just what you're talking about, if that has become a thing for you where people have these expectations for you to save us all. Well, you know what? I will tell you this. Um, I feel like I have, I live in underdogness. Hmm. Like I feel like every time, like there are people who know me and, they, they they truly know me and they were like, oh my God, you can do so many things. But I feel like the average person, not the average person, I feel like a lot of people think that when they see me doing something great, they're almost shocked. Hmm. Kind of mm-hmm. thing. 
So it, it could be just know how I feel and I could be projecting, but I don't, I don't feel like I've ever gotten a great black hope thing because I don't, I don't feel like people really know who I am and know what I'm capable of doing, mm-hmm. you know? So, and so that, but that's a whole different kind of conversation. Like, so when I ran for vice chair, and it's funny because I ran for DNC vice chair for a lot of reasons. And one, cause it's kind of felt like there needs to be a regular black woman on the DNC to tell them, mm-hmm. no, the 94% who voted for uh, Hillary Clinton, who I still love, shout out to my girl Hillary, and I'll vote for her again, that's another conversation, need to have somebody who has their voice at the DNC. Now, I didn't win, but that was also the blessing that I didn't win, because that's another conversation. But when I decided to run, forget the fact that I had been doing party politics since like 2001, 2002, Mm-hmm. People was like, "What makes you think you can win? Win, 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 uh, run and win." Now, and no shade to people I'm running against. Some people had just got involved in poly politics two years before. Some people had gotten involved in the election before, and I, I was like the one of the few people who had been doing party politics for over ten years. Hmm. And I had black people telling me that, "No, why would you do this? What makes you think you're qualified?" I had white. I had everybody telling me that. Not acknowledging that, yo, I, I started doing state party politics, local. I was doing. I have been doing politics. So mm-hmm. when I say that people, I, I I live in that whole underdog space. Oftentimes, I am questioned about why I'm doing certain things because I don't know if they know if I don't give off the air of that I can do this. Now, when I got promoted, it was the whole different. Oh my God, it's about time! Mm-hmm. From the same people who had just told me a year and a half before. Why do you think you're qualified to run for vice chair? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just really kind of, you know, give and take, uh, depending on who's talking to me, what they see and what they think I can do kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I am happy the fact that none of that actually dictates what, what I'm going to do. Like, mm-hmm. I, um, I have a few friends that I talk to very closely about, you know, career goals. But at that point in time, I'm just talking to, talk, I like to talk things out as mm-hmm. I figure out. I've already had in my mind what I'm going to do, but I had to say stuff out. So I have a few people who are like, okay, that sounds like a crazy idea, but I'm like, okay, but I'm going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, so I've never had the black hope kind of situation. Like my family, they just happy that every time I do something new because they know nothing about politics and tech, mm-hmm. they so excited. They're like, oh girl, I saw you on Chicago, uh, or Source Chicago, Stite Chicago, rolling out. They so, they so happy. My granddad was like, you met Obama, girl. And this is happy that <laughs> yeah, you won life. Right. So, you won life. Right. So at that point in time, so to answer your question, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is this is good, though. I, I have two more questions before we wrap up. I want to um, ask you earlier, you, had, you were talking about um, really because you felt, you have felt like um, in the earlier in your career, like, okay, I don't have these things in place as far as so-called qualifications um so i'm overcompensating Mm -hmm. i would i would love for you to speak a little bit to how you feel this overcompensation because i think that is across um for for black women in general like any field any work you're doing what is this overcompensation has it done to you and how have you been um doing the work to like keep your right mind you know you know I was exhausted at a, um, it was exhausting. And to just go into a very personal story um, that I haven't actually said in public and ever, I was overcompensating, trying to prove everybody was, that I was worthy of this position. In the middle of all that, I got pregnant. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And then I started freaking out, like, oh my God, I am running this organization. I know I don't have a degree. I'm now I'm about to be you no know, uh, have a baby. I can't be a college dropout, you no know, pregnant. And it was it became a very respectability kind of politics kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I made the abrupt decision. A friend made the abrupt decision for me to get an abortion. Mm-hmm. And I am pro-choice, you know, do what you want to do. But what happened is that I had not, I was doing it all for the wrong reasons. Now, mm-hmm. so I did. And that's, and like, after that, my life went into a downward spiral. Because mm-hmm. I did it basically for this job that I was trying to prove that I was worthy for. And I was afraid of showing who I really was. Mm-hmm. So I just, it, things got really bad for me. I got depressed, you know. And then I had a mentor who she didn't know what was going on with me. And she mm-hmm. was like, I want you to go take some time and find a therapist. Then I started going to therapy and it started unraveling all these other things. You know, the abortion, the feeling like I was inadequate, that kind of thing. And it made me realize now, am I glad that, no, had, had, had I been my mind, I probably still would have, no, chose to have the abortion. But, mm-hmm. but I realized that years later kind of thing. But mm-hmm. Being felt, being feel, feeling inadequate and trying to you know overcompensate led me to do things that you no, know, that that I wouldn't have normally done, or if I had for the wrong reasons. I probably would have done it for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just like the you no know, having an abortion. It was also about you know being involved with people who I felt were a good look, or you know being in places where I had to be because I had to prove my worthiness. Mm-hmm. Now, now I'm kind of like you know what screw you like I, it's this whole kind of thing like yes i work hard but i i'm not trying to over i'm not trying to prove my 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 meet why i'm here you know i'm not no longer trying to show you why you why i deserve to be here mm-hmm. like when i'm walking in the room you should understand i'm walking in the room because i deserve to be here and now i understand that myself it mm-hmm. took me years to get that place and it took me falling into this deep depression to get that place because fear is it is it's a it's a, it's a thing it does mm-hmm. things to you fear of being found out and i don't know who i was being found out by mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying and that's this thing i was so afraid of the no the they the the who's that i didn't even know who they who they were yeah so it just changed like i mean and this is now some 15 you know it's no 15 years later well 10 15 mm-hmm. years later but i can i can actually talk about it now because i was so afraid of respectability politics you know mm-hmm. of what people thought about me of of being not enough you no know, that i you know let that dictate my life mm-hmm. i can say that now i'm just not in that space and i haven't been in that space for at least 10 years but it also i had to realize that i'm worthy and and that i am good at what i do you know so regardless of like I'm just good at what I do. And that, and that's something that I have to acknowledge. And some people might say, Oh, she out here bragging. You know what? I'm bragging because I produce, mm-hmm. you know, if I wasn't producing mm-hmm. shit, then that'd be different. But, but guess what? I am putting results on the table results. on the mm-hmm. board. So that is why I can actually know brag on myself a little bit. But, but years ago when I was younger, when I was in my late twenties, early thirties, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know, mm-hmm. know how, to be able to be whole and be seen without, you know, being seen in the way that I felt that made, made me most mm-hmm. valuable to other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, that's so good, Latoya, because it, it full circles to really the beginning of our conversation. 
and I don't know if it was before I pressed record <laughs> or after, but just talking about my my frustration with so many of the Black women that I have um, asked to be a part of Black Girl Mixtape in one way or the other, I'll, I'll reach out to you crazy people and be like, I want you to come talk as the authority on XYZ, whatever. And y'all be like, oh, what you want? What, like, what, <laughs> what should the topic be? What should we talk about? You have been doing this important work for 9,027.5 years <laughs> and you don't know what you're the authority over? Or, or not, not even that, the other piece of it is that how many Black women have been doing this work for all these years. And this is one of the first times that somebody's asked to come talk on this subject yeah. as the authority. So that's, you know, like, that's the thing. Now, how we be doing the most and still feeling inadequate? You know what's funny about this? Because I feel like, you know, this is probably like a terrible interview because all we doing, I'm just talking to my girlfriend. So I know my political friends are like, oh my God, that is, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have said that. But just talking to you, you are just getting the whole relaxed kind of the toy. Let's just have a girlfriend kind of conversation, which I think oftentimes we don't do. We are so scripted and so afraid yes. of people seeing the real that we 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 never let people see who, who we are and like our authentic selves like mm -hmm. i i love what i do and i love politics and i love but i also also i'm frustrated because people you can't be true to yourself anymore mm -hmm. you know like i know this might not be the most um political correct conversation but but you cannot live your life as being 100 no one's perfect Mm -hmm. you know, so I am just trying to be as authentic as I can in these moments just because I'm in a different place in my life now. It mm -hmm. took me over the last year, I've had like a journey of who I was and who had and who I was like, who can be in my space. And it was no. And again, I had people in my space who at one point in time were really good friends. But I realized as I changed, they didn't, they couldn't see the change in me. So they so so they were keeping me stuck in, in what who they thought I should be. Mm -hmm. and, for, and because of politics and because, you know, D.C. living, I kept them in my circle, but realized they didn't bring much to me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm just past that. I'm past that in work. I'm past that in life. I am, I am in a, on a journey now to be as authentic and as true to myself as I can be. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I am no longer afraid of the bottom falling out. Mm -hmm. And I hate, and no, I say that out loud now because I, used, I had a fear for years that I was afraid that I was going to lose my job or do some mm -hmm. other stuff like that. Even though I was working this hard, yeah. I was always afraid that I was going to lose, something was going to happen and I was going to have to go back home with my tail tucked between my legs. I no longer mm -hmm. have that fear. Just because now I, I value myself and value what I bring to the table more than mm -hmm. I've ever done in my life. And it's just, and it's, it's a peace and a joy to being able to say, you know what, I'm happy with who I am and what I bring to the table. Hmm. And so that's just where I am at, at this point in life. No, that's good. I appreciate everything you just said. What I, what I, the note that I wrote down while you were talking is, I, I appreciate you for being this transparent because <laughs> we need to know about these different elements and aspects of the journey so that for those, because this imposter syndrome is a real thing. It is. We see, we see people like you doing this amazing work. And if we don't know that you're like a real down to earth person, like that's real. We iconize you or we separate ourselves from you to the point like it's not real. It's impossible for me to ever walk into that because I'm way too different. I'm way too 
Yeah. There is there is this um woman who actually ran for office a couple years ago who is this Latina woman and I just would see her just actually, you know, having flavor and being herself. And I thought to myself, like, I could probably run for office one day, despite the fact that I have spent years of my life saying I'll never run for office because I like to say nigga way too much. And somebody <laughs> will find like my YouTube video of me pretending to be Nicki Minaj and be like, Working. oh, girl, no. Right. And so being able to see people in the work, in the field, you know, actually be authentic and transparent. I think it lessens for those of us listening, for those of us that, you know, are wondering what it's like to actually be able to be yourself in these industries. It's like, yeah, we need to hear that. We need to know that because otherwise we won't be able to see ourselves. We won't be able to align with, you know, what it is that you're doing. So I appreciate your transparency. And literally, you probably said about five different times. That's a, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> Girl, I'm a great note taker. So I'm going to call you back soon for a whole other conversation. <laughs> and, and, you know what's funny is that I, I don't even think we got to heal any of the topics you initially said we were going to talk about. <laughs> and uh -huh. I feel like that's my fault because we just started talking. And it's also your fault because, you know, we started talking about random stuff. But um, what I appreciate about you is that you are giving voice to sisters who otherwise would not have a voice. Like when you talk about, you know, your schooling and what you went through in your schooling, when you talk mm -hmm. about where you are, and even when you were trying to go through, you know, trying to find some place for your business, mm -hmm. it's, it's how, I, I was free in this conversation because you allowed me to be free. Mm -hmm. No, I, there's a level, no, that again, we haven't known each other long, like maybe a year and a half at this point in time. Mm -hmm. But when I first saw you like in, in public in the first time, like I just wanted to hug you because you were mm -hmm. just so, open and accommodating to just to all all things black girl magic all things sister mm -hmm. love so i appreciate you for allowing me to be myself now i know again i'm sorry to all my friends who are gonna cringe when they hear this interview <laughs> um, but the reality is that sometimes you have you have to pull back the layers sometimes you have to let people see the girdle yeah. I mean, the dress is nice, but no, there's some girdles. And I ain't say spanks. I said girdles. Yeah. There's some girdles holding some fat up in there. And somebody got to see the fat. They got to they gotta see it to understand how, how I can look so pretty on the outside. Latoya, this is good. This is good for me. This is good for my, for this audience, this Black Girl Mixtape audience. But it's also, I want to make a plea on behalf of your friends. It's also good for your friends too, because <laughs> every time we tell the truth, we give ourselves a little bit more space to actually show up as ourselves. And I think that's the, you mentioned, you have mentioned, you know, Cardi B earlier and somebody else. And it's this whole, you know, respectability politics piece. Yeah. It's that we, we are so busy just really trying to hold on to the one or two spaces mm -hmm. that we're free to move in. And so we have this fear that if we really show up as ourselves, speaking the way we actually talk behind closed doors, yep. you know, looking the way we actually look, that somebody's going to take that away from us. Yep. And I just want to declare right now in the name of Jesus, come on, prophecy. Yeah, come I just want to speak to the fact that can't nobody move us. Like, especially when we be we decide that your affirmation matters to me more than anybody yeah. else's nobody is moving us latoya like we yeah. are here to stay and if we gotta build and construct our own thing because it makes other people feel uncomfortable for us to actually show up and look and sound and talk like ourselves then marcus garvey was right anyways that's the end of this interview <laughs> I really felt like if if you hadn't ended this interview, we'd be talking for about two more hours. 
because no, because I got other. Seriously, I'm a great note taker, honey. These are my notes. From Shut this. up. <laughs> Wait a minute, I got to turn the page. I'm not even done. There's a whole other. <laughs> so. So okay, are you? Did you stop? Uh, are you start recording? Hold on, let me stop recording now. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Black Girl Mixtape Podcast. The work of Black Girl Mixtape can continue with the support of listeners like you. Visit blackgirlmixtape.com and choose the donate page to support our lecture series tour. Or if you're a non-black person and you recognize that you learn for free in the space with black women on a regular basis, choose the voluntary reparations option and subscribe to give on an ongoing basis. Listen to black women, trust black women, protect black women, elect black women, support black women. Until next time.